hey, happy Easter, guys. And uh, I'm doing this from the Ritz-Carlton Santa Barbara. And uh, we just wanted to come out of here and experience life. And uh, it's fascinating. The beaches were full today. Uh, people were surfing, everybody out on the beach. We were enjoying the sun. And, and uh, uh, it's just awesome, guys. There's, there's literally no fear. There's, no, there's nothing. And it's not even a thing to us, this whole every everything going on and so I just want you to live like that but uh, I'm going to share some some things about Easter you know Easter really if we look at it um, I'm trying to take you guys along slow enough but fast enough to really get what to all these scriptures mean what is the real story of Easter and I don't know if you guys were like me but I remember when I was a child and it was uh, we would have these uh, little girls would wear their Easter dresses and you'd have Easter lilies and all these things about new life and then um, the rest of the year was kind of like, God's angry at you and mad at you and, and all kinds of crazy stuff. And I thought, well, how come this one week we get to celebrate like happiness and joy and life. And then the rest of the time we have to be worried he's going to beat us with a stick or something. And, uh, and I remember even thinking, um, as I was preparing this message today, uh, when I was little and uh, I was taught, you know, if you believe in the death, resurrection of Jesus Christ, you, be, you will be saved. And I, <clears throat> and I just accepted that because I didn't know anything better. And, and uh, but I've always, um, I've always wondered, what does that really mean? Like, it's really, that's it. That's, it just seems so shallow. It seems like there's not enough life in that to me. And, and I think the people who are, I would just, uh, if some of this is new to you, I get it. You know, I've, I've been on a pretty awesome journey, in my opinion, where you just start going, what do the scriptures actually mean? And what, what is life all about? And, you know, if I would look at my own, um, my own marriage and my own kids, Angelique sitting here and Barb sitting here and, and uh, uh, you know, the concept I heard about Easter, they were, they were, they were born in sin and, and uh, separated from love, which God is, he's perfect love. And, you know, in order to somehow get back to my security, my protection, my family, my, the people who birthed me, my, my mom and dad, or in this case, my relationship with my wife and my kids, would I ever demand blood um, in order to pass my, my own anger as a father to somehow, now I can love my other kids again. And I think if any, anybody who just thinks about it with human decency has to reject that if they really think about it with decency, in my opinion. And so, and then you, then I was introduced to the early church and really what the early church writers <clears throat> wrote, and I'm going to share a couple of things with you, <clears throat> because here's, here's what I was taught is, I was taught the letter of the book, like read it, read it literally, and it clearly says, but it's an Eastern book, guys, it's, a, it's written in a Hebrew mindset, it's written with uh, allegory and story and these beautiful literature, literature themes, and so the Hebrews, which much more interested in what does it mean, not what does it literally say, and so Paul, Apostle Paul himself says this, as, as I was sharing with you guys earlier, as he says, if you read it literally, the literal, here's what it clearly says, it kills you. The letter kills is what he says, but the spirit gives life. So I'm going to try, really just teach you scriptures spiritually. What does it mean? Not, uh, not what it is literally. And I think it's going to be beautiful when you see it. And so a couple things that I think will help you um, right off the bat, let me, uh, both Francois and Brad posted a couple of things on Facebook that I'm going to share with you, but I'm going to read it too in the last couple of days. So here's Francois, Easter in context. Uh, it is clear that you are 
you were ransomed from feudal fallen mindset that you inherited from your fathers, not by the currency of your own labor. That would be works. That would be following the law. That would be, I'm good enough. I, I did enough. I even accepted the right thing. I said the right words represented by the fluctuating values of gold and silver and the economy of our religious efforts. But you were redeemed with the priceless blood of Jesus Christ. Now redeemed. If you ever look at re resurrect redeemed, um, all that re re means again. So redeemed does not mean that um, we weren't of value. It means we were always of value and he revalued us by giving everything. If we were a joint heir and already birthed in him, the only way he could redeem us to, to show us our original value that never lost value, like the lost son, the lost sheep, the lost coin, um, was to give us everything because we were already joint heirs of everything. That's what's really fascinating about this. So redeemed by the blood is... Uh, uh, God did not require blood. Uh, we should probably get, and I think this says that right there, but he was redeemed by the process by the price. He is the ultimate sacrifice, spotless and without blemish. He completes the prophetic picture. In him, God speaks the most radical scapegoat language of the law of judgment and brings final closure to a dead and redundant system. In Psalm 4, 6, and 7, it is clearly stated that God does not require sacrifice or offering, which is really true if you go read it. Hebrews, it's very clear on that too. He says, hey, you know what? This this whole thing. I didn't like sacrifice. I didn't like offering. I didn't like any of that. This was your idea is basically what he said. And so Jesus is the lamb of God. He collides victoriously with the feudal sacrificial system, whereby offerings are constantly made to the pseudo moody monster gods of our imagination. Barbara and I were talking about that today. It's almost every religion, including Christianity, that has this angry God that somehow needs to be pacified uh, is usually by blood and typically by a firstborn. And it's really sad that, you know, most of the most of the church took that penal substitution idea and went there. It's the exact opposite. It's 180 degrees. So, you know, Jesus is going, if you really need blood, mankind, if you really need blood, I'm going to flip the script 180 degrees. Instead of me being angry, requiring blood, I'm going to let you pour out your anger on me. Perfect love. And I'll shed my blood for you. And then even then I won't be angry at you. And there, even then the 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 ultimate quote-unquote misbehavior or sin wouldn't that be to kill god if you if we in our own anger our own sin is what it says our own iniquities our own fallen mind that we didn't understand we killed perfect love and then he says oh by the way i've never kept record of wrong of that father forgive them they don't know what they do that's to cleanse our conscience there was never god so anyway i'm getting ahead of myself so jesus is the lamb of god he collides victoriously with the feudal sacrificial system where our offerings are constantly made to the pseudo moody monster gods of our imagination that is the scandal of the cross god does not demand a sacrifice that would change the way he thinks about mankind meaning he's never changed he wasn't one way in the old testament another way in the new testament he's the same yesterday today and forever he provides the sacrifice of himself in christ in order to forever eradicate sin consciousness that's what the blood was for is what it says in hebrews it wasn't for god it wasn't because it was for sin that god somehow needed it it was for us it was to cleanse our heart to go in even killing him can't separate us from this radical lover that he is of us. And so from our minds, sin consciousness from our minds, this is huge if you really understand Easter, and radically change the way we think about our maker, one another, and ourselves. Sin, sin consciousness is in essence a workspace consciousness, meaning I must do something to get back in, to get back in, to be loved, to be worthy, to do all these things. So God did not clothe Adam with the skin of an animal because of divine need to be appeased. In fact, I would go so far as we were spirit and he clothed us uh, 
he, he tabernacled within a skin tent, which is really all the prophetic pictures of scripture, which is you and I. But because of, our, because of their unconditional love for Adam, mankind, the blood man is what it says, they spoke the language of Adam's own judgment. Adam, not God, was embarrassed by his nakedness. The clothing was not to make God look good at Adam differently, but to make Adam feel better about himself. And ultimately, it was the prophetic prophetically prepare Adam for the unveiling of the mystery of mankind's redemption in the incarnation. Here, deity, God himself, would clothe themselves in human skin in a son, in the Lion of Judah, would become the Lamb of God in order to free our minds to rediscover his image and likeness in our skin. See 1 Peter 1, 2. Now, I want to show you one other thing that Brad posted, or somebody actually posted this of Brad from a more Christ-like guy tonight. Whew, this is a this is a tough one for a lot of people. Um, we want, even demand, to know how the death of Christ removes sin. I think that's what most people were taught. Whereas Paul resists the mechanics of transaction, meaning the death or somehow blood erased sin. And I know that's what we've been taught, but this is pretty interesting here. It says, Paul resists this mechanics of transaction. The wages of sin is death, comma, but, which is something else here, the gift of God, meaning it's not whether you earned it, didn't earn it, had to appease, not appease, the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Wages, payment, sin, death, that's ledger language, wrath language. But Christ doesn't balance the ledger. He nails it to the cross, Colossians 2, 4. He utterly removes it. God's ways are not bound to the ledger, but free to the boundless way of pure grace and a free gift. Amen? That's beautiful to me. So let me let me uh, just switch gears here a minute, and then I'll show you one other thing. So as I was preparing, um, uh, one good thing about flying right now, right? So there's like 10 people on the airplane. You get upgraded to first class no matter what. <laughs> it's a beautiful thing. So we're, our kids are flying in the lay down beds tomorrow, uh, which is awesome. So uh, that's one thing, guys. Get out. Get excited. You live life. Life's happening. It was, you know, it's fascinating when we in, in Denver and LAX, there's no change. There's no change. Half the employees aren't wearing masks, everything else. And, and when I'm talking to him, in fact, the one, the one guy made the most sense of anybody. I'm like, this is farm kid sense. You know, I was talking to him and he's a, I was sharing him my background, you know, initially as an engineer. And then I was put into environmental engineering, worked with the state epidemiologists in Colorado and all these different things. And, and, uh, and he was saying the same thing. He was the best way to experience life is not to be afraid and go get exposed. And I'm like, yes, you're the only guy that's made sense in this whole thing yet. So um, anyway, I don't want to get into all that because I'll get you all this. I'll get you guys confused. So just mean you can live life and not have to worry about a thing. And so anyway, what I was thinking about this is let's think about where, when was death introduced in scriptures? If we're going to lead the scriptures, scriptures, uh, we see it in Genesis three and we see the whole garden narrative with Adam and Eve and, and, uh, and a talking snake, which to the Hebrews was not a literal snake. It was the serpentine mind or the twisted mind or the fallen mindset, um, meaning thinking the wrong things about ourselves is really what the serpentine mind was. And the serpentine mind started to uh, talk to Adam and Eve and say, did God really say that you were created in his image? Did God really say? And so Adam and Eve, the original mankind, started to think less of themselves, which is sin. And they ate from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. What's really interesting, if you look at that word evil and in the Septuagint, which is the Greek translation of the Old Testament, um, and just Greek in general and evil is labor, hard works, and then we uh, full of efforts of trying to become what we already are. We already were birthed in perfect love. We already were birthed in perfection and one with the father in perfect union and 
originally birthed from above. We were, we can't be alive in my opinion without the breath of God in us. So somehow it doesn't take me saying the right words at some point for him to jump into me. If I'm already alive, it just doesn't even make sense to me. And so if death came from thinking the wrong things about who uh, we are, and in the narrative, you know, God comes in the, into the garden and, uh, and he says, where are you? And then they kind of give this little talk and says, Hey, we're, we're, we're naked over here. And then he says, who told you that? So the whole point of where death was introduced is believing the wrong thing about yourselves, listening to the wrong voice, listening to the fallen mind versus the mind of Christ, who I am because of my original birth. And so that's where we see, hey, that's where death happens. And so everything that evolves with death, that's where you don't feel like you're worthy. You don't feel like you're going to be provided for. You don't feel like you're loved. You feel like God's angry with you. You might feel guilt. You might feel shame and all those stories. And then it says this, it says, you know, that he drove them out. That's an interesting word in itself, because if you look at it, it literally means to lead with, a, uh, uh, to walk with a fallen and consuming mindset, meaning I'm living life now. <clears throat> I'm walking with a mind that only sees God as a consumption devourer. And it says, we literally walked out of the garden of ourselves. Now, most people like God's angry and he zaps them out, but that love would not do that. And so, but then he says this, he goes, but I, but I tell you, there is a way to get back to the garden and the garden, which was Eden is I am to lend noon is to see what to see within, to see the truth is the doorway to noon is life. That's the back way into the garden Eden, which Eden literally means the delight, the, the pleasures of life, the things that Jesus said he came for life and life more abundantly. So he says, that that pathway, that pathway back to life and life more abundantly is through the cherubim and the flaming sword that turns back within itself. Now, this becomes really key because if the pathway back to life is between the cherubim and the flaming sword that turns within itself, and we see all those prophetic pictures through scripture, uh, we probably need to know what those prophetic pictures are. If that's the way to life. How do we get back there? Because he says there is a pathway that, that I've brought back so if man fell if death poverty uh, misery lack um, sickness all these things came from believing the wrong thing about what about who we are then life which he says i promise that's going to be death and the opposite if we see the the new testament reality is always about life if life if death came from believing the wrong thing then the only way life and resurrection can really come is if we believe the right thing that just makes sense to me. And he says, I, I placed that in the cherubim, between the cherubim and the flaming sword. Now, it's really interesting. If you look at that flaming sword that turns back, it's the same thing that is used when they tell the story about the prodigal son. He turned back and went into the house and started to feast in the father's house again. It's that turning back. You'll always see that. And so I know a lot of people are like, hey, hey it's the, it's uh this flaming sword is this or it's that. And, and people do all kinds of crazy things. But if you actually look at scripture, it's not that. It's, it's to turn back within yourself to remember who you are. That's where life salvation is going to be between the cherubim, which I've taught you a, a, a bunch, is really your own human mind. You're the tabernacle that God dwells in. And uh, that's that mystery that's been hidden for ages. So uh, that's where life is going to happen. I want to show you a couple of scriptures here. This is kind of interesting. So anyway, let me... Uh, uh, Gosh, I love interaction. Uh, am I making sense for you? Yeah, because yeah, I, I can't really talk and have you guys give me input here. So 
So I want to show you this. So we see the whole uh, we see the whole uh, death of Christ narrative, you know, and uh, uh, I'm going to try to show you what does it mean versus what it literally say. We're going to look at what it literally says, but I really want to show you what does it mean, which is really pretty interesting to me. So I'm, I'm just looking here at uh, John 19 and it says, then Pilate handed Jesus over to be crucified and the soldiers took him away. In fact, if I go back here, let me just show you what crucified means. Um, <clears throat> then Pilate handed over Jesus over to be crucified. Now, most of us would just take the literal, the literal definition of this. So here's what I'm trying to hammer home though, guys. If death came from believing the wrong thing, then life comes from believing the right thing. And it has to line up with the secret of the kingdom of God. Why, why would Jesus come and tell us all these things? He goes, the secret of the kingdom of God. Hey, don't be worried, little flock. I've given you the secret of the kingdom of God. I've given you the keys to the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is within you. It's that royal rule and reign is what I've been talking about. So all of those stories, even Easter, in my opinion, has to line up with the secret of the kingdom of God. And it has to line up with the parable of parables where, and then he tells you, here's what the parable of parable is. Guard your hearts and minds. The kingdoms within the hearts and minds of men. And the story of even of Easter has to line up with believing the right thing within. It has to line up with the secret of the kingdom of God. That when you see and change within, that's where everything happens. So does the, does the, uh, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus cover the secret of the kingdom of God and the parable of parables? It absolutely does if you look at what does it mean versus what does it say. So let me just show you a couple of things. This is kind of cool. And again, this is this is uh, when Westerners try to read an Eastern book and don't look for the meaning, we make a big mess of it. And so then Pilate handed Jesus over to be crucified. So most of us would take crucified as we see this passion play of Jesus getting hammered by nails to a cross. Is that what we see? And so, and we were talking about that today, like all the passion plays we've seen are like, no, no, that's not it. That's not what, that's not what's happening. And, and they, they miss almost the, the most magnificent part. They miss the, the underlying meaning of all this stuff. And so anyway, well, let's just look at what crucified is. So if I'm just, this is why I'm doing it straight here, guys. So you can't say I'm making this up. I'm just going to Strong's right on Bible Hub. So crucifixion, let's take it. Uh, <clears throat> um, it's Storo O. And the literal definition to fence with stakes, to crucify, fix to a cross, crucify, figuratively destroy, mortify. Now, this is interesting. If we look at Helps Ward studies, storoo, to crucify, literally used of the Romans crucifying Christ on a wooden cross. Crucify is the Strong's 4717. Storoo is also used figuratively. Okay, what does this mean by putting the old self to death? So if the old man believed the wrong thing about who he was, which caused death, then literal crucifixion is putting that old self to death, the death of all death thoughts, because the kingdom of God's in the hearts and minds of men. So we must remove all the thoughts of death from the hearts and minds of men. Hopefully you're with me so far. So that's pretty cool. Now, <clears throat> let's go to the next verse, verse 17. And so carrying his own cross, he went to the place of the skull. I'm just going to show you a couple of these. So this is a Greek word, uh, cranion. Now, when we think about the skull, cranion, what should we go? Ding, 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 ding. If the kingdom of God is within us and we're the temple, what word sounds like cranion? Sounds like cranium, doesn't it? Hello, that's where the temple is. So that's the, that's the Greek word, which in Aramaic or Hebrew, if you look at it there, Hebrewist in Aramaic is called Golgotha. Now what's Golgotha? 
Now we'll take it the literal meaning and then we'll look for the spiritual meaning in it too. <clears throat> so Golgotha of Chaldean origin, which is really interesting. So Golgoleth, if you, if you look at a lot of these things, a skull, the head, the pull of the persons. And so uh, broken by bone, head, pull, and I don't want to get into it, but it's, it really is pretty interesting. If you, if you really start looking at all the, where this all comes from, it's literally the smooth head, a smooth head. And if we look at all the, the prophetic pictures in the Old Testament, it says Goliath, which is a very similar word to Golgotha, Goliath. And, uh, and now here's what's interesting, too, is in the Hebrew literature is David is said was when he killed Goliath and Goliath. Well, you guys probably don't know, but how many toes, how many fingers did Goliath have? Six. What's six? number of our own efforts it's that tree of the knowledge of good and evil it's our own efforts these this this evil these works this this desperate way to get back into good graces with god which like i was sharing earlier that's a dog chasing its tail because you're trying to become something that you already were you can never get there from here because it's the endless circle and so the hebrews in their narrative wrote that david took the the head of goliath and buried it in jerusalem in a place called golgotha so he if we look at that prophetically again, it's pretty interesting. So David takes a smooth stone, which is always spiritual. Smooth was hairy man. Flesh was always the rough external man. The smooth was always spiritual. So Dave, David took a smooth stone. And where did he hit Goliath? Right in the head, right? And so the spirit conquers this, the wrong thoughts, the flesh of us. And then it says he took the place David took, the, he left the body, but he took the head of Goliath and buried it in Shalom, meaning I'm taking this whole effort of works-based things that I'm not good enough, I'm not worthy enough, that God's angry and separated from me, and I'm burying that, and I did it through the spirit with the smooth stone. Is this cool? I think it's cool to me. I don't know if anybody else thinks it's cool, but I love this stuff, because it actually makes me so, so dope. It actually like, oh, I get it. Thank you, Father. This is a, uh, uh, now, What's interesting is, is he goes, I'm going to meet you between the cherubim and, and where the flaming sword is. So there's two parts. And then if you look at even verse 18, it says, there they crucified him. All right. And with him, two others, one on each side with Jesus right in the middle. So salvation is right in the middle of the cherubim. Is that cool or is that cool? Now, let's let's look at this story. If we go to John 20 at the next. Uh, and this is a lot of things, you know, and uh, oops, I went the wrong way. Oh, hold on. I'm in John 19. That's why let's go to John 20. Sorry. Let me go here. That's why I'm in, in a linear there. All right, John 20. If we just go to the next chapter, all right? And says, the first day of the week cometh Mary Magdalene early. Now, this is, this is huge, guys. Is the first one to the tomb is a woman. Now, we see the fall, supposedly, because the woman believed the wrong thing about herself. The first one who comes to the tomb and sees is Mary, the woman. And we also see, even in the story of Mary and Joseph, we see the cloud, the Spirit of God, cover Mary, and is a picture of God and the Holy Spirit. And he says, these great things are going to happen to you, Mary. And she says, I believed, and she conceived within. What did she conceive within? Jesus Christ, which is actually salvation and the anointing within. Whereas in the Old Testament, Eve didn't believe, she, she didn't believe the voice of God. And she believed the serpentine mind, which fell. So Eve is really the restoration, or Mary is really the restoration of Eve um, from the old to the new, which is really interesting. 
Eve, Mary believes in the new covenant, and guess what? In her is birthed salvation and, and the anointing, which is pretty interesting. And so, all right, so the first day of the week. Now, this is key. A lot of you guys may not know. Some of the translations say the eighth day or the day after the Sabbath. And so six days, and I'm trying to get you to think like a Westerner versus an Easterner. Whenever there's numbers, there's key things involved, guys. And so this is where I'm going to really show you where this is all happening, even though it's a, a story about Jesus and everything else, where does the salvation happen it has to happen within is what I'm trying to show you. And so the first day of the week was the eighth day. So six days, man's efforts, we're trying to work six, 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 all these different things. We, we mess it up because we're trying to earn our own righteousness and it's law-based things. I could never be good enough. I could never pray enough, fast enough. You just feel wrong. Number seven was the divine completion, perfection, the day of rest. Ah, you rested from man's own efforts to try to become what you already were, and you enter in. And then the eighth day is where they lived forever. And that's why you see eight people come off the ark and, uh, with Noah and all these different things. So the first day of the week is the eighth day. Now, I want you to think about from a Hebrew mindset again, eight. Eight means something. So this is written mainly to a Jewish audience, guys. So eight, the eighth letter in Hebrew is the letter Chet. And literally, it means the inner room or chamber to surround and protect. Now, the inner room or chamber, where did he promise he's going to meet us? He's going to meet us between the cherubim, which we know is our divine hearts and minds, in the inner room, in the secret place, which you can't see, in a temple made without hands, meaning he birthed this thing. And so here's where it's all happening, guys. It's happening in the inner chamber that Mary sees all this. While it was yet dark, unto the sepulcher. Now, this is kind of interesting, too. I want to show you what sepulcher is. Most people go sepulchers go, oh, that's the, that's the burial site. That's the grave. But let me show you this. This is pretty wild. So let me get to uh, 20 here. So this is happening in the inner chamber. You're going to protect what's inside. And like, I think that's where I read that somewhere. It says, guard your hearts and minds with all diligence because out of it is where life happens. And so if death happened there, then life has to happen there too. So if we look at this, so uh, John 20, uh, wait. Where's this? Where's it? Take the sepulcher. Oh, it's the, you know what? This is, let me get into King James. So this is the, the, uh, yeah, let me do this version real quick. So you can see the same translation. So I'm not messing you up. All right. <clears throat> so John 20, the first day Mary cometh, it was yet dark and she came to the sepulcher. So I'm going to go to the interlinear here. John 20 verse one. Mary then comes into the dark while still being in the tomb. And she sees the stone being removed away. <clears throat> All right. So that word sepulcher is the first thing is a tomb. But then <clears throat> this is pretty interesting. Any visible object for preserving or recalling the memory of any person or thing, a memorial, a monument, a sepulchral monument. It's remembering something, a remembrance a place of internment. It's not also the grave, but it's a place of remembering. Ah, so on the eighth day in the inner chamber, I turned within myself and I remembered where I came from. I came to myself and I remembered something. All of us have that, guys. We all know somehow that there's something more. And so I think that's pretty interesting. So it happens in the inner chamber where we remember something. We come to our remembrance. So the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene was yet in the dark under the sepulcher. She sees the stone taken away. That stone was the place of death, etc away from the sepulchre. She runs and comes to Simon Peter and to the other disciples whom Jesus loved and saying to them, they have taken away the Lord. 
She ran both together. And you guys know the whole story here. And they come and they don't see death there. They just see the claws, but there's no flesh there. And so I'm going to, I'm going to go down here where it says, uh, all right. So oh, starting to get windy here, guys. Sorry. Hopefully it's not too loud for you. All right. So I'm going to start in verse 11 again. So here's the woman. Here's Mary. And this is, boy, I could, I could spend weeks on this stuff. Like in the Hebrew, Mary is Miriam. And Miriam, if we go look at even the story of Moses, Miriam puts Moses in the, in the casket, in the ark, and puts it on the, the waters, the river, and watches over it. If you, go, if you remember the whole story. So, but uh, let's just stay here. So, but Mary stood without at the sepulcher weeping. And she wept. She stooped down. And she looked into the sepulcher. And she had two angels in white. This is huge, guys. Remember, God says, here's where I'm going to restore the pathway back to the garden. Here's where you're going to find Eden, that the life and life more abundantly is between the two cherubim, these angelic like creatures. So she, the stone is rolled away, which is, hey, you can free to come and go anytime you want from this tomb of death. And she wept. She stood down and looked into the sepulcher, a remembrance. It's pretty interesting. And sees two angels in white sitting, one at the head, one at the other. Boy, doesn't that look like the, if we see two angels, one at the end, one at the other, doesn't that look like the Ark of the Covenant where we see two angels sitting over this thing? And she sees two angels in white sitting, the one at the head and the other at the feet where the body of Jesus had lain. And they said unto her, woman, why weepest thou? She says, because they've taken away my Lord, and I know not where they have laid him. And when she has said this, she turned herself back. So she heard something. And if we're going to take it figuratively, where we're seeing this is happening, she goes into the, the, the she goes into the the inner chamber, and she hears a voice, and she turns back. Remember what it said? It says, "I'm going to keep a place back to life and life more abundantly." It's between the two cherubim, with a sword that turns back within itself, just like the prodigal son turned back within himself. So here we see Mary. She goes into the inner chamber, and it says, uh, yeah, verse 14. And when she had said this, she turned herself back and saw Jesus. So she sees something. She sees Jesus. What does Jesus mean? Yahweh saves. She sees salvation. She sees something in the inner chamber. Jesus standing. He's alive. He's not dead. And knew not that it was Jesus. But Jesus said to their woman, why weepest thou? Whom do you seek? Is she supposing him to be the gardener? Now, why would she think she was the gardener? Because it was in the garden. <laughs> so she's in the inner chamber, and she sees Jesus through the doorway, which is the pathway back into the garden of delights, etc. So she's supposing him to be the gardener, saying to him, Sir, if you have borne your hands, tell me where thou hast laid him, and I will take him away. And Jesus saith unto her, Mary, she turned herself and say it, there's that turn back again, like that sword where the prophetic picture he promised, just like the prophet's son, Rabboni, which is to say, master. So what does this all mean, guys, this Easter message? Here's what I really want you to get. And let me just stop, stop this year here is, is uh, death, the stones, the law was always the, uh, the, the letters kill written engraved on stones kill. That's been rolled away, guys. And now everybody can go straight into the inner room and see between the cherubim, they can see him and hear him face to face. You're one with him again. Just like John 1 says, it says, in the beginning, they were face to face, pros. You were, there was such a seamless union, you couldn't away from him. 
And uh, just that there, there was no blood required when man fell, there was no blood required by God to re-arrive. Everything happens in the inner chamber. The only thing the blood did was to redeem, meaning I'm going to show you and prove to you that nothing can separate me from your love. God didn't demand it. In fact, scripture says he didn't demand it. It says the only place that demanded it was the law. And he goes, throw that thing out because I didn't come up with that. That was man's system of works and uh, get rid of that thing. It says, only see me, only see life. And that is the way. And the waves within the inner chamber. So here's what I want you to understand. This Easter message is literally death died. Any form of death. And that is uh, poverty. That's misery. That's lack of health. That's lack of joy. All of that. The stone is rolled away. Meaning there's nothing that keeps you from perfect peace and, and union with God. You can't get any closer. You're one with him. Uh, so if all that death and everything's rolled away, what do you do? You enter into new life. That's where it's like he is risen. So man is not falling down. It's not the fallen mindset anymore. He's risen. And you, he right now, guys, it says you are co-seated with him at the right hand of the father, meaning that's this place of honor that I'll do anything for you. Just like my wife is on my right side when I walk down. That's where we get all this imagery is we are seated right now. We couldn't do anything about it. We were seated right, right at the right hand with him at the place of honor. And so really what I want you to understand that when I was writing the title of this, it says, arise, O sleeper, and enter into the glorious liberty of the sons of God. God's not waiting for anything. We're not waiting for anything. He's waiting for you. He's waiting for you to come alive to these truths of who you are, that you're perfectly loved, you're perfectly healthy, you're perfectly provided for. Everything you could ever dream of as the bride of Christ has already been made available to you, and you can have it whenever you want. It's really just coming to this truth of knowing you have it and receiving it so you can live life and life more abundantly. That's the Easter message, guys. Death dies. There's no death anymore, except in man's mind in a lot of religious places. But there's no death. Where death abounded and the sin abounded, grace, hyper, hooper, hyper, super sloppy grace, whatever you want to call it, this over-the-top grace abounded much more, and you can experience him. So, Father, we just love you. We praise you. Let them see that they've always been worthy. They're always loved. They can be full of joy. They can be, they can be free of any sickness, free of any disease, because they already are. They, are they, they awake to righteousness because they already are righteous. They awake to health because they're already divinely healthy. They awake to abundance because you, they swim in it. That's who you are. They awake to joy because that's who you are. So, Father, we just thank you for that, that they truly can live this life of life and more abundance that anything of death has already been taken care of. There is no death. That was, that's, that's, that was the original lie. So even when, quote, unquote, Jesus dies and we put him to death, guess what? Death can't hold him. There is only life. And that same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is going to raise you and all you're going to experience life forevermore. Amen? That's the Easter message. That's the early church message. And, uh, man, I want to take you so many places, but I'm going to have to take you gradually and slowly. <laughs> so hopefully it helps guys god bless you and uh don't let anybody tell you any of these other messages about easter that's not what it's about i promise you it's not what it's about